Hello, welcome to another episode of the Crazy Ex-Wives Club. I'm your host, Erica, and today I have my friend Jess with me. We're going to talk about how divorce transformed our lives. So let's get started. Welcome to the Crazy Ex-Wives Club, a podcast dedicated to helping women navigate the emotional journey that is divorce. I'm your host, Erica, and if you're trying to figure out life after the big D, welcome to the club. Whether you're contemplating divorce or dealing with the aftermath or any of the many phases in between, the club has got you covered. Each week, you'll hear stories from women who have been in your shoes. This isn't about spilling tea and divorce details. This is about giving you the tools to take control of your own healing journey. Listen in weekly for advice, tips, and tools to help you move through each stage of the process. Hello, welcome everybody. I'm excited to share my guest with you this week. Jess and I met earlier this year. We actually were both part of a marketing cohort, a group class that we had signed up for, and we ended up getting partnered in the same group to work together. So for the first quarter of the year, we got to support each other in growing and refining our business. And it's where a lot of the initial podcast work was coming to life. And in that work, as we were moving through marketing, marketing pieces, Jess had started to share some of her own experiences or viewpoints because she was divorced as well. And a lot of that great feedback helped to guide some of the pieces I was doing. In fact, one of them, I'm totally going to talk about the name, but we'll save that for a little bit. So I want to welcome Jess to the podcast this week. Thank you, Jess, for making time and for showing up and for being a part of it. You got it, girl. I'm here for you. I'm so glad. Thank you for inviting me into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like we had shared, I was the only divorced person. I don't know if you were the only divorced person, but I wasn't having a lot of conversations with divorced people. And so like when you meet somebody else who's been divorced and you start to talk through some of those pain points, right? Or, or struggles, you realize that you weren't so alone, that other people yeah. were having some of the same stuff. And I just loved when, you know, especially in that marketing one, when we were talking about well, what are the pain points and you're like, oh, well, it's this and this and this. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it's exactly that. And so it's, we can each have very unique stories, but still have a lot of the same pain that comes up with it. So I don't know if you want to tell our listeners anything about your divorce story. They, they kind of know mine. Mine was a surprise, found out he was cheating and wound through a two-year separation of trying to fight for the marriage. But what did yours look like? Oh man. Yeah, it is so true. I definitely didn't know a lot of people that were in my situation. And most of those close friends that had attended my wedding and been like couple friends and stuff like that, you know, most of them are still married as well. And so it's this very interesting, you know, overarching conversation of like, what does all of that mean for how we engage in the world moving forward in those friendships as well? So the thing that was interesting for me is that my separation happened and it was abruptly, it was not expected. My son was two years old and my daughter was a mere three months old. So anybody who's had that season of parenthood knows like, holy hell, we are like Also in postpartum, we are trying to figure out breastfeeding and sleep and all the things. And now we have two and we're trying to take care of this baby, but actually the toddler is more active and it's a lot. So 
that was the big picture of what was happening. And it was like, the day I found out the truth of what was going on with him, he was out. And the details of what was happening for him at this stage, it's like, it doesn't even matter. It's like what I've come to learn through my own journey of healing is that the old conversation used to be what he did or what he was doing. And once I got past that, I was like, oh no, this is about where I'm going to choose to take ownership over what led me to that place with him and also where I have been since then. And so at that stage of parenthood, I was a stay-at-home mom. Like we had agreed to that lifestyle. I'm a photographer, have been for like 20 years in different genres. And we had decided and I'd happily said like, hey, I want to do this for a bit. I don't know when, for how long or whatever, but that was kind of like an open-ended timeline. So when that happened, I was not only postpartum, but I had no job. And so all of a sudden it was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, well, there's so many unknowns. It was massive crisis, massive trauma. I ended up on welfare for a while. And I had friends that were like sending me grocery cards and friends that, that were like trying to connect to nonprofits and telling me when there was, you know, free grocery lines and things like that and going to the WIC stores and all that stuff just to survive those early years of that transition. So that's, that's kind of like painting the picture. And that was next month will be seven years ago. That is a lot. The little kids and then two little kids on top of that. And then the whole everything stopping instantly. But what I, I love what you said is that it's not about what they did. And so often yeah. with the story relies, he did this to me. He did that, right? Like, yes, that stuff happened. Nobody deserves the stuff that hurts them. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what you choose to do about it. Yeah. Like you could have played all the victim cards and I'm sure there were spots in there where you did because rightfully so that's part of processing, right? You know, like yeah. this sucks. We agreed to this. I wasn't supposed to be working. I didn't have to bring in the money. Now I do have to bring in the money. Like everything had a change and you could either stay stuck in that or you could say, what am I going to do about it? It is what yeah. it is. This is the reality. There's no point in going back. There's no point in staying stuck in the past story. I'm starting over from here. And what do I need to do? Where's the hustle? What needs to happen for me to move this forward? Because we can't change what's already been done. Yeah, it is. And like, what is going to be my response here? And it's so interesting, even in that, you know, have you seen the Barbie movie yet? No, my son went and saw it. He told me I had to see it and all my friends have seen it, but I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. I'm on the yeah. phone. I don't know. I promise you, you want to see it. Okay. I went last night with my daughter. It is a very smart and well-written movie. She wanted to go to it. And I was like, I know this is going to be over her head, but let's go. Cause I know I'll enjoy it. Yeah. And, you know, I think there were so many good points in that of just, women in society and our roles also what the external world is telling us that we should be in the last seven years of my own healing one of the things that has really just like come to the forefront and i've 
like acknowledged as what an effing disservice it has been to me is growing up in the Disney princess era. I was like, I've had to untrain myself to not believe that some kind of Prince Charming was going to come and take care of me and to save me and to provide for me and all the things. I'm like, I grew up with that outside narrative. And even if it was subconscious, I chose to believe that that's what it was. Nobody was telling me any differently. And that for sure is part of what contributed to how I made my choices in my marriage, you know? And so for the last seven years, I've been just trying to undo the princess narrative of like the Disney princess narrative of like a man is supposed to X, Y, and Z for a woman or a woman is supposed to for that man, the freedom in that, you know? It's so true, right? And even beyond Disney, it's like it's like all the movies, right? How did any of us learn about what it meant to fall in love, to find your person, right? It was what we saw in those movies. It was how it got portrayed as the fairy tale, which, yeah, it didn't set anybody up for success. I mean, I, I love a good Hallmark holiday. <laughs> I love a, a good trashy <laughs> love story, right? Oh my gosh, my mom is all of that. Right. And then at the same time, it's so funny because I can love that. And I too have had to work through that bullshit that like, you know, when you, when I got in a stable relationship, it was like, is this it? Wait, is there supposed to be fireworks over the castle right now? I go, I know I really like this. I know this feels really good, but like, I don't have all the... <gasps> And then when you get into like, what is that big thing, right? Half the time it's anxiety. Butterflies in your stomach is anxiety. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now we're in love, right? But it's the same thing. Fear and excitement feel the same way. And so having to relearn that and rewire that and understand that it's the communication and the commitment that creates the sparks, that yeah, creates that's good. the beautiful piece, yeah. not the like the zing in the beginning. Yeah. So you, you're saying that like when you had met your ex, you felt all the good things, but you weren't sure if you had the zing or you know you didn't have the zing. With my ex, it was the zing. Okay. The current relationship, which is the first true, real, healthy, open communication. I can show up and say, I'm feeling the feels today. Hmm. And he can be like, okay, what do you need? Right. Whereas yeah. the ex, you know, we were we weren't that young, but we were young, 24, right? We didn't get married till we were 28, but it was, he was the boy next door. And how do I, how do I get more time with him? And he had a girlfriend when we first met, when we were just, he was friends with the neighbors. And so it was always like, Ooh, who's this? Right. And then after him and his girlfriend broke up, he ended up moving into that neighbor's house. And that's when we first oh, started. Wow out right so we had known you know we'd crossed paths for a while but he had was in this long committed five-year relationship and then when they broke up he had moved into the it was like I had a studio in the we call it the botanical mansion next door it was like a house with like six rooms in during college right that just had this rotating of the guys and the girls that came through and so you know it was like he he was all the things. He was the surfer, right? We were in California. He took me to the beach. He, it was all the zing. And it was my yeah. first 
ever relationship. Nothing had ever lasted longer than three months before I'd get annoyed with somebody. And so all yeah. of a sudden it was like head over heels, but because it was so head over heels, we never talked, right. We never communicated. Yeah. We just had big feels and eventually having big feels. Like if I was having all the feels crying, complaining, whatever, he started pulling away because he's like, I don't want to deal with it. Right. And so then you get that push pull that eventually was him leaving for other things. And me, you know, with a little kid too, not as young as yours and only one, which is a lot different, but yeah, it was, it felt like it was all magical. And then Mm -hmm. because it never had the foundations and the roots because losing the magic is so scary that you don't want to have the day-to-day conversations that need to be had to have the foundation that eventually it just deteriorated. Yep. And I could pause on that until later, but that is the new practice in dating of where I'm at now, because I want both, you know, like I want the zing and I want the very transparent I'm going to have the real conversation. I am very conflict resolution oriented. Like I'm not afraid of the hard conversations. And, you know, somebody I'm dating now is like, oh, wow. Like you really, I'm like, yeah, I do. Like I lay it out. Like I'm not going to like gloss over things. Like we've done this. We've done marriage. We've, we understand what it takes. I'm too old for that shit. You know, like I want to have all the fun, but I want to have the real talk of compatibility as well, you know? Yeah. But to backtrack, one of the things that you were saying just in kind of the conversation of like transformation and what that looks like, you know, you're talking about like fear and anxiety and those similarities and the excitement and all of that. And through my journey of healing and allowing myself to grieve the waves of grief. And I think for anybody that's listening right now, I want to kind of just validate. And even if you haven't heard this, or you need to hear this today, is that nobody ever gets to put a timeline on what your healing journey looks like, or what your grief looks like. That is yours to have for however long and whatever that, whatever that is for you. Because, you know, somebody in particular, I had say to me, like, I don't understand why you're not over this by now. You know, it was like five years after at that stage. And I know that they had their own agenda and why they said that. But I thought, you don't get to do that. Like there's the onion, the layers, you know, like the easiest analogy of the layers and the onion of what you peel back. Because it's not only, you know, for anybody listening to that might have young children or children in general, but if they were going through this with young children, like I did, there's a limited amount, am I allowed to cuss on this? There's like a limited amount of time that I get to deal with my own shit, you know? Yes. And that slows the journey down. Yeah, because when it hits and you're like, I need to have a breakdown right now. It's also when yeah. somebody needs to be fed or somebody needs to be picked up and you're like, yeah. I can't, I can't right now. And then when you have the moment, you can't always tap back into like, okay, I have 10 minutes now to go start my healing. Let's let's crack the yeah. egg, let's get after it. But it is grief. I don't think people realize how much grief it is and the layers of the grief, right? You have to come to terms with letting go of the person then the dream of what you thought it was, then the extended family that's not your family anymore. And then the friends, and it's this thing, loss after loss after loss. 
that you're not prepared for. And it's going to take you the time that it's going to take you. And for me, it's like, you can stay in the feels. Your friend was going through a breakup and I was like, you can stay in the feels as long as you want, but know that the day that you're done feeling like shit, you are the only one that can change that. So I will sit here and listen to you. Do you want me to push you forward or do you want me to just hold the space? Because if you just still want to sit in the muck, I will sit in the muck with you. You do not have to be alone in that. But one day you have to decide that it's going to feel better to choose to be happy again than to continue to bitch about the past or the wrongdoing or the hurt or why you were the victim of what happened. Coming to the end of yourself where you're like, I am done with hearing myself say this. It's like, you know, and then also the acceptance of like, nobody's coming to save me. Yes. That's it. Nobody's going to come and save me from this. I have to choose it for myself. And that for me has been a very intimate relationship with my nervous system Mm -hmm. because I am an overthinker. If anybody knows the Enneagram, like I'm a type six, I'm waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under me. I'm the loyalist and I'm an overthinker. And so even in my years of therapy, my amazing therapist will always say, she'll ground me first of, you know, like the senses of how I feel, but she'll always say, great. You thinking that in your head, where do you feel it in your body? Yes. All of my practice has been to get out of my head and into my body, which to me in my journey of learning this about myself is into my body, which is into my nervous system. I've dealt with severe anxiety throughout this time because of overthinking to survive and overthinking to figure it out and to cope and perhaps to numb. But the biggest gift that I've realized is when I'm in touch with my nervous system and I do some practices just to bring me to calm, that's when I get to lead myself and set an example for my kids of how to belong to myself first. And that's been what matters most to me these days of like that core, me being grounded in myself first. Well, it's because we think like, okay, the divorce is over the experience, the trauma, the pain, it's over, but it's not, it's literally stored in every cell. And like in your instance, and in my instance, when you've had to hold it for a long time, yeah, you were at the bottom and had to, had a hustle and figure out for a very long extended period of time. It wasn't a flash. It wasn't like, Oh, I got in a car accident. It was scary. It was years of this is scary. And I don't, you know, good days and bad days, which adds up in the nervous system which depletes the adrenal glands, right? Which throws off the hormone imbalance, which causes digestive issues. It's like a domino effect of one to the other. And it all literally starts with our nervous system. And so doing those practices, like you said, like taking a deep breath, centering Mm -hmm. yourself, finding your present moment, all of those things and know that you got to feel it. It's like a textbook, but the body keeps score. If you haven't read that one. For sure. But it's deep, but it'll give you all the research as to like, oh, they have proven that whether it's a traumatic moment or like trauma infused situation of long complex traumas or complex PTSD is what they're calling it. Like if it's over a long period of time, it stays in the memory of the body. And until you move it out, you can't get through it. 
it'll continue to get triggered. You know, you're logically, you can, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. Logically, I get it. Okay, then why am I sobbing on the floor and I feel it, right? Like I'm hunched over, I feel it here. It's because you gotta, you gotta move it through the body. So good for your therapist. Yeah, when you're saying that, it totally makes me connect back. I don't have it on my wall anymore, but I did for a number of years where one of my close friends, her name is Rachel Brown. She's a painter and she came over one day with this huge painting of a buffalo that she did. And she had already told me the story. I don't even know if this is true, but this is the story. So I just was like, I will subscribe to this story because it's so damn good. (laughs) Where she had said that when Buffalo know a storm is coming, all the other animals will run away from the storm, but the Buffalo will stand and like endure the storm to face it and to let it pass because they will get through it in a different way and a speedier way than all the other animals that are hustling to run, but the storm is still chasing them. It's it's going to be behind them. And so I hung that painting in my home for a number of years to remind myself to be the Buffalo, to face it, to feel it and just endure whatever was coming. And that was super helpful for me. I love that. And now I need a Buffalo spirit animal. It's funny how they always show up and you said Buffalo. And I was like, Ooh, this is the next picture coming into my house. I don't know why. I don't even know the story is yet. I'll send you the link so you can see if you like it. Yes, please do. What I love about that story and is it is the truth. And it is the thing that I work with people the most on. We all want to stay avoidant, right? We feel easy, right? Yeah, we think that if we actually dealt with the thing that caused us pain, that that would hurt more. And what hurts instead is the constant running from it and the fear of how badly it's going to hurt if we ever look at it and how badly it's going to hurt if we actually do the work. Instead of like, hunker down and look at it, look at what hurts and get through it. Because the moment you get through it, you always conquer it right? Like it's the fear of getting through it is bigger than the actual work it takes. And then you get through it and you're like, oh, and I'll acknowledge, it doesn't mean that it's instantly gone. I I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote so many journal entries on the same topic. Like I felt like I would have written it out, cried it out, got to a stable place. And like five minutes later, I could be spiraling in the same worry and anxiety and have to do it again but it got faster. It got easier. It hurt less mm-hmm. until it gets to a point. Now I was just sharing on an, with another one of the podcast guests is like right now, the boyfriend's traveling internationally. So we're on different time zones. We're not talking. And usually we like, even when we live in our separate houses, we'll talk for hours every day. And so we're mm-hmm. like, it's like a good morning and a good night. And that's about it. And the old me would have all these issues. And now the current me, I was like, Ooh, do you want to be worried about it? And I was like, no, I don't need mm. to be worried about it. Yeah. Because the foundation is there. The communication is there. And sometimes it sucks because it's like the stuff might not ever go away. It's always hardwired into your body, but you become so good at having the tools to navigate it that it no longer hurts. It no longer stops you. You can get yeah. to- place where like, logically, I know that that wasn't a logical thought for me to have about us right now versus before it would have been thought created lightning bolt through the body. Now I have to run and protect. 
So like do the work, be the Buffalo, sit down in the storm. It'll get through faster. Do you journal? How do you come to these? Because I feel like those are such valuable realizations about yourself. Like how do you kind of name it? Yeah. So I journal a ton. To me, journaling is a really great tool to let the momentum drain out of your body. And so when I sit down, like there's lots of different ways to journal, but this tool specifically, what it'll be is if I'm feeling the feels right now, I will just open the page and I I will write as if I'm talking to myself or to somebody else. Like I'm really scared right now. I'm really worried. Like, let's make up one for this travel thing since that was on my mind. Okay. So I'm really like, I don't like this. And this is a literally word for word, what I'd write. I don't like this. I don't like not knowing where he is. I don't like that we can't talk. Like I'm feeling really scared. I'm scared that he's cheating. I'm scared he doesn't like me. I'm scared. Just dump out whatever thought comes to mind. Write it, write it, write it. Because all that momentum, that anxiety, that chatter, put it out on paper. And what happens is, and sometimes the same sentence repeats itself over and over. Like Mm -hmm. I'm afraid he's going to cheat. I just need to know that we're okay. I just need security. Like what if he cheats? I don't know if I can handle if he cheats, right? Like it might bubble, 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 bubble. What happens is though, that the momentum, the velocity (laughs) at which you write starts to slow down. And the moment it starts to slow down, it means that you have calmed the momentum enough that you can start to challenge it. So now mm, in my journaling, good. I put the question back to myself. Do you really think that he's cheating? No. You know, like I used to write a lot, like I'll forever be alone. I'm so alone. Nobody's ever liked me. Even in childhood, I never had friends. I could never find people. I didn't have friends in high school. Da, 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 right. And eventually I'd be like, is that really true? And I'd be like, yeah, well, no, I do have friends. Nobody shows up for me. Is that true? You just spent two hours on your phone with your friend. She's there for you. Okay, yes, this is just right right in this moment. I want somebody else to do the work for me. Mm. I'm scared, I'm feeling the feels and I want somebody else to show up for me. Or in that travel situation, like I'm feeling the feels and I want him to give me the reassurance instead of me finding it myself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, journaling was one of the tools that could give me the sense of security back. It gave me the power back because I wasn't relying on somebody else to show up, to provide security, to talk me out of it, to give me the steadiness that I needed. I gave it to myself in the journal and I could flip the switch. Yeah, It was like flip the switch journaling is write it all out. And as it slows, now question it. Is that really the truth? And now write the opposite momentum back up. That's not true. People are showing up for me. I see the support I have, right? Or that's not true. He and I have great communication. When he comes back, I absolutely can share the fears that I had. And he will, he will, you know, mirror back the support I need. You can give that all to yourself through writing. I love that. And I definitely connect with it. I'm nearly done with it. I had been working with a coach actually on specifically, you know, I think I had a little bit of a foggy self-awareness of really how much self-worth I had. Mm. And I chose to believe that I had more than I actually did until I really started excavating what self-worth looked like. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I actually have more work to do here than I was willing to face. And so I had listened to, honestly, I can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head. I remember the author's name is Nancy Levin, but she has a self-worth book that 
up for us. A, a workbook. So I bought the book. I listened to it because I don't read. I'll just fall asleep. So Audible, because uh, I have to multitask that. But I was working with my coach for a number of weeks specifically on going through those practices that are very similar to what you're talking about of self-worth, of name all that shit and then reframe the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I relate to that. Like I found that to be incredibly helpful. That self-worth piece is always at the heart of it. It's like bubbling up. There's a solo episode bubbling up in me, but it hasn't quite come to fruition yet. And it truly is about it's the being alone and not being alone just to fill the time, but being alone because you truly love you. Like, yes. And so even the word alone, I don't even want to use the word alone because it's not about that. I got good at being alone because I viewed it as something I had to do in order to get to the relationship. If I could master being alone, then I could allow in the right partnership versus the switch that got flipped is once I found my own worthiness, I was like, uh, quality time with me. Yes. I meet my own yeah. needs better than anybody else ever will. I will never yeah. demand somebody else have to meet these needs. I do it myself, which now meant that there was no more settling, that there was no more putting up with stuff, but it took a really long time. I mean, I only just, you know, found it a few years ago and I thought I had done all the worthiness. I thought I had figured everything out but it's such a delicate little, it's like the tiniest little thing that finally switches to where you're like, uh, I'm really cool. According to me, yeah. <laughs> that is the only according thing. to me. I was like, I might not be your cup of tea, but I'm mine. And yeah. so I, nowhere else I'd rather be. <laughs> yeah. I think like something that just came across for me, like, cause I know you and I are in a different phase of this process and thank gosh, you know, and, and I know, it's kind of similar where, you know, years ago I had had a miscarriage and I remember feeling very alone in it until I started talking about it. And then once I started talking about it, I realized, oh, this is actually more common. And I felt more supported and loved of how many women were like, oh, so did I, we could chat through this. You know, I think like we are in a different phase and it's of course ever evolving in our own journeys, but like right now, I just like have this moment where I was like thinking about like, where's the woman at that's listening or whomever is like listening. I'm like in the raw part of it. I'm laying on the ground trying to get up. It's like, what would you say to that person in this time? You know, of like all these things that we talk about with transformation. Yeah. It's not always going to feel like that. Yeah. Because those... I won't even say moments because it's longer than moments. Those days, months, years of just sobbing on the floor. Yeah. In the moment, they feel like they will never end. And in the moment, they feel like the most excruciating pain you have ever been in. And they start to become less frequent. They start to become less often. They probably are still as intense, but all of a sudden you realize, wow, I haven't cried yet today. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, it's been a week. And when it hits, it hits. It hits again so strong and you're back on the floor and you're confused because you're like, how was I so happy and on top of the world yesterday and felt so yeah. good where I'm at and why the hell am I back on the floor again? And that is the grieving process that yeah. you've got to move through it. And so know that in those moments, those are the moments that I journaled the most. 
those are the moments that I just ugly cried and journaled and ugly cried and journaled. And it literally like, I'd dry my tears and be like, okay, I picked it up. And it could be five minutes later and I'd be sobbing again. And I'd pick the journal back up and I would do it again. Yeah. It is just, it is part of the process. And to be honest, there's nothing you can do to make it be over faster. That truly is that moment of the Buffalo in the storm. It is that there is no magic trick. There is no magic pill or technique that you can do to make that end. But all you can do is hold on and ride the storm. And then when it passes and the sun comes out, go live your life, find all the joy, find all the pieces that you love again, and know that that joy, that love part, it lasts a little longer every time and every time and every time. Yeah, that's good. There are definite phases, you guys. And it's so crazy to watch the evolution. When I started it, I had no idea that there were going to be phases, even outside of like my first phase was, do I stay or do I go? And mine was, I want to stay. Then you make this decision it's done. You know, you're leaving and a whole new wave of bullshit hit me that I didn't expect. So I fought for two years for it, but I was the one that filed because he had said he wanted to come back. Something still wasn't lining up. I'm like, something is weird. Guess what? This is not what I want in a partner. I will, you know, love you, love our son. We're not meant to do this anymore. And then I couldn't get off the couch for three weeks. I was so depressed, (laughs) like so depressed. And I'm like, what happened to me? I asked for this. Like I was lined up and now I'm on the floor again. Mm. And then you go through that whole self-exploration phase, right? A big part is figuring out who you are, the importance of having some alone time versus jumping into the next avoidance mechanism. Avoidance mechanism. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so true. And I think that's where it's really important for us to create like who is our intimate counsel that we trust and have like that have wisdom and trust that will sit in the shit with us, but will all that we also give permission to speak into, to say like, Hey, you get to do whatever you want in this space. I know that I'm that for a couple of people in my life where I'm like, I might not think that you're making like the wisest choice right now for X, Y, and Z, I'm going to stay with you in it because I do trust your process and I want to support because I think that there's value in the process that you are trying to like excavate, but also like, who are the people that you are saying, like, you get to speak into this. Like, if you see that I'm clearly just trying to numb out and avoid or to replace or to yada, yada, yada. And it doesn't even mean like, I've done that plenty of times where it doesn't even mean that I'm going to make a change about that right away. Yes. You know, like I might be like, yeah, that's great. I'm going to casually date continuing on. And that's what I'm choosing right now, because I know that there's still value in that for what I want and need right now. And I'm going to continue to be examining myself and how I'm growing in that process So allowing it to be, but also inviting those people into it to say, please be with me in this, please speak into it, even if I know that I'm going to stretch some stuff out. But it really is like the stretching the stuff out is also just standing in it. Yeah. Back to your point about a miscarriage. I too had a miscarriage. So I get that. And I thought I was so 
my body was broken. I, I was so ashamed. Right. And then as I finally started telling people, oh, this person always had a miscarriage before they had a healthy pregnancy. Oh, and this person had a miscarriage too. And divorce is the same way. Now we all know, right. Because everybody kind of sort of knows that you were married and now you're not married and your Facebook status changes and everybody goes, oh. and then they go back through your Instagram and say, did you delete all the photos that ever happened of the two of you together? Right. But I think there is also something so powerful. I'm like, calling in a movement, right? That we need to claim it. Yeah. I'm divorced. Yeah. Hashtag I'm divorced. So what? Yeah. Like I'm still worthy. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still thriving. And I still deserve to live the life I want to live. Being divorced wasn't a sentence that said that something was wrong or broken with me, but it is about like taking the lesson taking the lesson and figuring out what it was there to serve you with because it's yeah. something for you. You're either going to be hurt by it or you're going to use it for a greater good, for helping other people, for learning for your next relationship, for something. It's too big to not transform you into something else. I completely agree. I feel like I could confidently say seven years later with all the freaking work I've done in so many bullet points of like things I've been a part of or whatever, X, Y, and Z. I love myself. Like I've never, and I'm almost 43 and I've never felt more committed to myself and where I'm at with my self-worth and just feeling like I'm good. I'm good on the inside. Like there's always work to be done, but to be at the point of where I'm at now in the transformation by facing it for so many years, honestly, it's like one of those humble brags where I'm like, F yeah, like I've put in the time and in there's goodness in my life. And on the other side of that, it's like when you know the dark depths of grief and hurt and heartache, it makes it real sweet on the other side when you get to also identify when life is good. Yeah. And that is where I'm at now to just have the awareness to appreciate that right now, it might shift tomorrow, but right now life is good and I'm going to just be in that. Yeah. Preach it, girl. That is what we wish for all of you listeners out there, everybody should get to a place in their life. And maybe it's part of being in your forties, right? Same age over here, but there is something about once you get divorced, you get to write your own rules. You no longer have to live within the constraints of society because you're already the black sheep, right? You already have mm. a marriage that didn't work. So guess what? Figure out what you like and what you want and go do it. Yes. You get to be as quote unquote weird as you want to be because you're the only vote that matters anymore. And when you have gone through something that is so gut-wrenchingly painful, you come to the other side and yeah, the good days are amazing. When you have yeah. those moments of reflection, when it hits you how far you've come, it is a humble brag moment. It is a shout from the rooftops like, I fucking did it. Yeah. Thing threatened to take me down and I did it. I made it through, yeah. but did I make it through, but I'm thriving on the other side of it. So we wish all you listeners a healthy year of thriving ahead of you. 
and we will tune in next week to hear more. So thank you guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. And that's it. Another great episode of the Crazy Ex-Wives Club, a podcast for women learning how to heal from their divorce. Tune in next week for more advice and tips to help you figure out life after divorce. And until then, give yourself grace, do the best you can, and know that this is all part of the process. Thank you.